you know, it's hard being a bigot. Yeah. Especially in today's political climate. You just are attacked on all sides. No one stands for bigotry anymore. I don't think we're allowed to say stuff like that. (laughs) Probably not. You know, Josh, I don't think very many of our listeners speak Mandarin like we do. Do we even speak Mandarin? Barely. Barely. <laughs> that was a little bit of the Chinese for you, <laughs> listeners. I don't know what accent that turned into, but it wasn't what I intended when I started talking. Man, I don't know what that was. Ah. Uh, this is the third time attempting to start the podcast. We just never know what to say right at the beginning, and we never know what to say right at the end. And honestly, we don't really know what to say in the middle either. But Yep, that's what happens when two awkward people make a podcast. One awkward person and his very talented, very lovely wife. <laughs> no, I'm awkward too. Okay. Um, <laughs> this is our podcast. We have elected to call it Thanks for Participating. Um, might change it. We might not. We um, might change stay it. Stay tuned for to find out. <laughs> this is news to me. It's news to me too. Oh, okay. I don't, you know, just you gotta, you gotta stay alert, babe. See what's uh, happening. Hard for me to stay alert when you're moving so fast. Yeah, am I here? Am I there? I'm in your left headphone. Now I'm in your right headphone. Your brain goes like twenty directions all at the same time. Okay, back to basics. <laughs> this is our podcast. Thanks for participating. I'm your host, Josh. She's your host, Sydney. We are your hosts. The Riches. Cute. The Riches. <laughs> yeah, that's my name now. <laughs> I'm still not used to it. We just celebrated our first uh one our first one year anniversary our our only one year anniversary. <laughs> our first anniversary. And we're still uh not really used to the whole marriage thing yet. Um I'm used to referring to Sydney as my wife, but I am not anywhere used to her referring to me as her husband. I think it's kind of the same vice versa with her. Yeah. Um, but we're getting there. Um, I'm sure by our 20th anniversary, we'll be used to it. We should ask our parents. Yeah. Are they used to it? Well, my parents don't even remember their anniversary, so. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we were over at their house. So my parents' anniversary is a couple weeks after ours, and we were over at their house on their anniversary. And uh, to be honest, you ask me what their anniversary is, I couldn't tell you, but... They we were just standing there in the kitchen, like having a conversation, and all of a sudden, Dad whips around. He's like, "Happy anniversary!" And it's like seven o'clock at night, <laughs> and he's like, "I beat you!" <laughs> oh wow, what legends! I know, <laughs> my parents are funny. <laughs> Hopefully, they appreciate the call out on the podcast like this. Yep, love you, mom and dad. I'm glad you guys are still happily married. That's uh, you know, friend of the podcast, Mr. Johnny Johnson. Mm. Johnny Johnson himself. Um, from a previous episode, he was on to talk about concerts with us. But don't call him Vicky. Yeah, we just got back from a trip with them to Zion National Park uh, last week. Yeah. Well, whoops. Did you get unplugged? Yeah, I did. Oop, technical difficulties. Sid will be rejoining us momentarily. Maybe. Hold on. Can you hear yourself? No, you keep talking. Okay, I can hear you and can you hear me? Okay, you're back? No. When I lean forward, 
I can hear, but when I lean back, I can't. Well, maybe pl- plug it in your headphones. Uh-huh. Okay. You're good now? Yeah, we're good. Okay. <laughs> Josh is using his brain over here. There you go. Sometimes Wait, it... I can't hear you again. Well, just stick it in there hard. It is. Okay. I'm still talking. Can you hear me? No. Maybe twist it around a little bit. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Okay. When I put my finger on it, I can. When I take my finger off, I can't. Maybe pull it out, put it back in. Oh, wait. Now I hear you. Okay. Uh, if you jiggle your head around, can you still hear me? You good? Yeah. Okay. I'm sure our listeners really enjoyed that little misadventure. I'm sure you really Our enjoyed. life is full of misadventure one after the other. Basically, yeah. Um, Neat. Do you want to talk about our time in Zion? Or? We've just been... So, we haven't released a podcast in a while. I think our last one was our Hawaii episode that we released probably over a month ago. And yeah. um, and we were intending to release one about our trip to Texas to visit Sid's family. And then we got back and we had our anniversary right after that. And we um, spent the weekend in Park City. And then after that, pretty soon, we um, went to Zion National Park and spent the week in the cabin and had a fun time. And now we're getting ready for the new semester of school to start next week. And so <laughs> we kind of uh, lost track of our podcast schedule. But Yeah, there's been a lot going on. Yeah, you know, but it's our podcast. We can do what we want, you know. I guess. No one's holding us accountable except for, like, each other and God and, you know, maybe our listeners if they cared, but yep. we have uh, we have had a few people reach out to us being like, hey, are you releasing a new episode? And uh, we really appreciate you that you have been listening and are enjoying it enough to want more content from us, so. Yep. Now that I'm getting all emotional, <laughs> great it's way okay. to start off a podcast it's when okay, you're in Josh. tears. <laughs> Don't tell me it's okay. It's not okay. All right. Anyways, today, wait. <laughs> in the zone. I'm she always in the zone. Brought up her like fingers like she's meditating. I'm in the auto zone. I don't think we can say that. Is that like a? Eh, it's probably a copyright thing, but you know, like in the zone, auto zone. Well, <laughs> if uh, auto zone <laughs> reaches out to me to take that out, um, or like sends some lawsuits, then I will, you know. Who knows? Maybe we'll get free things for like sponsoring them. I don't think that's how copyright works. Trademark or whatever. Well, but we we like shouted them out, and sometimes when like influencers shout them out, you know, they're like, "Oh, let me send you free things for like mentioning me." And you know, since we're so like huge and everyone loves listening to us, I'm sure AutoZone would be like, mm, "Let's fix the air conditioning on their car." You, yep, AutoZone. We would love a sponsorship. Um, <laughs> we need we <laughs> we need to. Have our air conditioning fixed? <laughs> because it's been 100 degrees and we have none, so. <laughs> yeah, and I've been uh, roasting alive. Yeah, we just like rolled the windows down and hope for the best. <laughs> Pray that we won't uh, die of, what's it called? Heat stroke. Death. <laughs> Hopefully we won't die Let's of death. Let's hope that we don't die of death, okay? Yeah. Oh, I mean, my call, my high school car didn't have air conditioning after like the first six months either so you know but that car was like way more ghetto than your car is our car anyway (laughs) let's uh (laughs) let's talk about a movie that we just finished watching um probably half an hour ago all right the movie is interstellar which is a very good movie and i had seen it before and josh hadn't and i can't remember where we were 
But we were out somewhere, and I think it was like the Walmart $5 bin, and I was like searching through it, and I think I found Interstellar, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is such a good movie. Like, let's get it, and like throw it in my... Oh, it was in Hawaii. Yeah, I was going to say it was... We were searching for a movie because it was when we were going to like have to quarantine when we got to the big island. Mm -hmm. And I brought my laptop, and so we were like, oh, we can throw the movie in my laptop and watch it. But then we ended up staying all night, up all night, talking to Josh's brother, and so we didn't really like get to watch the movie. And Josh, for the last two months, has been asking me to watch it. And like for those of you who have seen Interstellar, you know it's like a very emotionally taxing movie and so I was like hold up I gotta be in the right mood and he kept on like pushing and pushing and I was like nope I'm not prepared for it today we have to do it another day finally today I let him watch it (laughs) (laughs) I was prepared today (laughs) I appreciate that I had no idea what to expect from the movie and you're right it like that was a lot more than I was expecting but I knew you would love it one because of space and two because of all the science that goes into the movie which is, like, totally up your alley. I don't know why you would think that. Really? Is it because, like, you know, you're an engineering major? I, I, don't, see the, I don't see the relationship. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You don't see the relationship at all? Mm-mm. Okay. I don't get what, I don't see what you're getting at. <laughs> okay, whatever. Well, the movie sat, yeah, it sat on our bookshelf for, I don't know, whenever we got back from Hawaii two, two months, months ago. Two months ago, yeah. Um... Thought I was gonna sneeze right there. So I said, when was the first time that you saw the movie? Oh gosh, I can't remember. Like probably like I mean it was definitely like a couple years after it came out, but like before I graduated high school, I think. So probably like twenty sixteen or twenty seventeen. I'm not like a big movie watcher. Sorry, I asked that question and I forgot to pay attention to what you were saying after <laughs> oh that. Oh my gosh. Okay, well you can hear my response in editing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But, yeah, I'm not, like, a big movie watcher. Like, if I'm going to sit down and watch stuff, it's going to be TV. But um, for how, some reason, I sat down and watched that movie. So, is it, How many times have you, have you seen it? Once. Just the once? Well, twice now. But, mm-hmm. yeah, because I also am more of a fan of, like, comedies and stuff. And so this one is just, like, it's such a good movie, and I don't mind watching it again. But it's not one that I'm going to be like, I want to watch this movie Again, like right now, you know? Right. We can start with a brief summary for our listeners that have not seen it before. And hopefully, I, you know what? I'm just going to give a spoiler warning right now. I know at some point we're going to give spoilers. And so if you haven't seen Interstellar and you don't want us to give away the ending, just caution to y'all. Y'all. Yeah. You spent too much time in Texas. <laughs> I've always said y'all. No, you haven't. Yeah, I think I it was the first time you've said y'all in the whole time that we've been married. No, I say it all the time. You do not. I do. Okay, well, listeners, you've heard her talk extensively on this podcast already. Let me know if you've ever heard her say y'all. Listeners, you can see how much attention Josh pays to me. Oh, I have an incoming call from dad. Should we be like, hey, dad, you're on the podcast. Say hello. You should probably take that. Okay, I'm going to push pause. Okay. Okay, we're back. That was my dad calling. He wanted to know... If you want to preserve the threads on a button, like he had heard that I like to put... Oh, excuse me. I probably shouldn't drink soda on this podcast because then I'm always burping. Yeah. But I just love Mountain Dew too much. I know. Anyway, he was asking uh, how to use the clear nail polish to preserve the threads on a button. I told him you just put a dab 
on the top where the threads cross over and then it keeps the threads from fraying or the buttons falling off or anything so Ooh, i do that on my uh tights too you put like when they start to run you put like a some clear nail polish on it and then it like won't run anymore Sometimes I take the clear nail polish and I put it on the like inside of my nostrils and then it will make it so that my nose doesn't run anymore either. Oh, really? I didn't yeah. know that worked. Yeah. Life hacks from Sid and Josh. Yeah. We've got this thing figured out. So whenever you have like a prank caller calling you saying like, hey, is your refrigerator running? You just tell them, yeah, because I always put clear nail polish on it. No, but if you put clear oh. nail polish on it, then it stops it from running. Oh, right. Then you say like, yeah, because I never put clear nail polish on it. There you go. There you go. All right. Well, anyways, back to a short summary of Interstellar. So there was this guy, okay? His name was Cooper. He lived in a, in some future version of Earth where the climate is so becoming uninhabitable that people are starving and suffocating. It's not the climate. It's a, a blight that's like killing all the crops. What's a blight? Like a... Famine? Like a virus or a bacteria or like a parasite or something that like kills all of the the crops. Oh, uh, is that what the dust is? No, the dust is just because all the like plants are dying and so there's nothing to like hold the dirt together. Because, you know, like plants, like they make root systems in the dirt. And when you don't have those like root systems, then like the dust is more free to move around. Oh, gotcha. Okay, let me start over with my summary. So there's this man named Cooper, and he's living in a future version of Earth where there's a blight, and it's killing all the crops, and there's not enough food being produced to um, sustain the planet. And so a lot of the industry of the world has shifted towards, um, away from innovation and technology and um, like services and more towards farming and manufacturing to help sustain the, the world's population, which has grown. I think they um, mentioned that they yearned for a time where there was only six, seven billion people on the earth. The population has like exploded since then or, or something. But anyway, um, and this guy, Cooper, he's been forced to be a farmer, even though he has an education in aerospace engineering, right? Yeah. And he's a pilot. Yeah. And he used to fly for NASA, but then NASA was forced to shut down because of the economy um, switching to like farming or whatever. Uh, but then he finds out there's a gravitational anomaly in his house, gives him the coordinates to go to this place, finds out that place is NASA. And NASA's like, hey, you got to go up into space to save the world. And he's like, okay. And then he goes up into space and comes back 100 years later. So there you go. But like the reason they sent him into space is because they have like, they sent 12 people in through this wormhole that appeared beforehand. And those 12 people went to different planets that were like contenders for a future Earth. And then they, like, set up receivers and then went into hibernation and just waited, like, hoping that their planet was a viable option and that people would come and rescue them and, like, set up, a co- like, colonies there. So, anyways, so they're going to, like, visit the planets and see which ones are viable. All right. Um, you know, I was doing some research on Google about this movie. One of the things I found interesting, first of all, was that, you know, how Google, um, Google suggests, que- suggests, <laughs> Google suggests questions related to what you searched. And one of them was, is Interstellar based on a true story? 
So I think out there there's a colony somewhere. Well, what was Google's answer? Oh, I didn't pay attention. Oh. The answer is, in the movie Interstellar, a fictional black hole called Gargantua takes center stage, dot, dot, dot. Director Christopher Nolan and his visual effects team strove for superior scientific accuracy in Interstellar. They even hired theoretical physicist and Nobel laureate Kip Thorne as a consultant. So that didn't answer the question. No. So it might be based on a true story. Yeah, maybe. Probably. Um, I think all of Christopher Nolan's um, film um, premises are received via revelation from beings on a higher dimension. (laughs) This again? (laughs) This again? Yeah, you told me Harry Potter was revealed scripture. (laughs) I was referencing the higher dimension beings from the movie. Oh, whoops. I'm sorry. I totally missed the joke. Yeah, this is actually, I think, the third Nolan movie that I've seen. Okay, well, actually, fifth, because there's three Batman movies. Um, Wait, so I've only seen two of the Batman movies then? Batman Begins, The Dark Knight, Dark Knight Rises. I don't know if we watched The Dark Knight Rises, did we? That one has Bane and the nuclear bomb. Is that the one where the lady dies in the end? Yeah. Then yes. The Dark Knight has the Joker. Okay. Batman Begins has um, uh, Scarecrow and uh, Liam Neeson as um, Ra's al Ghul. Okay. I have seen all three of them. Okay. I'm pretty sure we had like a marathon. We did. And they all just kind of merged together. To be honest, I didn't really understand what was going on. I think that's because I was like too tired to be paying attention. I'll tell you what I was too tired to pay attention to is when we watched Tenet on our anniversary trip. I googled the plot summary and i read it extensively as we were watching as we were watching and i still don't understand what happened yeah that one was a lot less uh i don't want to say enjoyable to watch it just like was a lot less character driven and so you you couldn't feel the stakes because there was no like emotional like weight to any of the decisions or any of the actions that were being taken in the movie yeah Whereas this one was like entirely character driven and it was super, you know, like everything that was happening, like there were consequences and there were things at stake. And um, so it was a great movie. Like it was had incredible, like driving, like momentum throughout the whole movie. And as I was watching it, like, you know, you I don't know. I'm trying to talk as if I know what I'm talking about. But (laughs) no, Tenet is a vibe. Like I like the vibes. What does that that mean? It's a vibe. Uh, I, just, I like the vibes of that movie, like the aesthetic, like the way. I was just gonna say because your cousin Gavin, <laughs> like <laughs> we, he came back from Canada and he says that all the time. He's like, "Oh, that's a vibe, that's a vibe, that's a vibe for sure." And I'm, I have no idea what that means. And I've noticed that you've started saying that too. <laughs> I just, Josh, I think that you're just streets behind. Okay. <laughs> You got to keep up with what the kids are saying nowadays. I don't think the kids say the streets <laughs> streets behind or streets ahead. <laughs> That's from Community, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's my dad's favorite reference from Community. I've seen a little bit of Community, but I think Community is like the second show that we've like started watching together that you started watching without me. The second and show? What was the first? It was, maybe, it was, maybe it was the first and then the second was Modern Family. And then, like, I told you about it, and then we went back and, like, 
started watching Modern Family together or something. Yeah. And then I told you that I wanted to watch The Last Airbender with you, and you just went and watched the whole thing without me. How does it feel? Pretty crappy. Yeah. Sorry about that. Remember when this podcast was originally going to be a Last Airbender podcast? <laughs> oh, yeah. That was like our first idea for the podcast. We're like, what if we rewatch The Last Airbender and then... Or watch for the first time. Oh, yeah. Watch it for the first time and then like podcast about like each episode and stuff. Is when we were driving back from... We were like driving the 11-hour drive from San Francisco to Salt Lake City and we were like through the Nevada desert. Because at this point, we had been talking a long time about starting a podcast and we just had no idea what to podcast about. We just really just wanted to make something that we could have fun making and semi in semi document our lives for the virtue of posterity. Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. Why does it smell like popcorn? They're probably cooking popcorn upstairs. Probably. Should we go knock on their door? Be like, hey, it smells like popcorn. No. Okay. Anyways. Okay. I have to say, I apparently have seen six Christopher Nolan movies, although I cannot distinguish the Batman movies in my head. And I have to say, my favorite one out of all six that I've seen is Interstellar. Because I it makes the most sense. I have seen the first, uh, I have seen like the first 15 minutes of Inter- in- Inception, but that... You've seen the first 15 minutes twice. No, I saw the first 15 minutes and then I saw the first two minutes. We tried to watch it when, like, before we were married, like, when I was, like, in my old apartment. Right. And we got 15 minutes into it, and I was just like, I got to stand up and move around. Like, I can't, I'm, you know, not in a mental state to just watch a movie where they're just talking the whole time. Yeah. And then the second time was when we were in the car, and we turned on the movie, and I was, like, very motion sick. And so I just, like, had to, like, lay down and sleep or something. Yep. You did that with all the movies? Yeah, except for on the drive down when we were just on the freeway. But then we did a lot of movies where we were driving through the canyon, like on our way to, to and from Bryce from Zion. And I was just like so sick. Yeah. Like all the twists and turns. <laughs> One of the things that I thought was really interesting was how Christopher Nolan wanted to like preserve the scienti- the science behind it. And so he strove to, like, make it really scientifically accurate. And so I think in that, like, question that I read, it says that they kept, like, a theoretical physicist on hand that could, like, um, help them keep the science accurate. And there were a lot of scientists that ended up commenting on it afterwards about, like, how accurate it could be, including your personal favorite, Josh, Neil deGrasse Tyson. And he said, I don't know that he's my favorite. He's just. (laughs) Oh, okay. Well, anyways. And he said, like, we don't really know. Like, he he concluded that, like, the premise of the movie, like, going through a wormhole to other planets and, like, going through a black hole is theoretically possible. And that, oh, that it's theoretically possible to interact with the past like he does. And that uh, we don't really know what's in a black hole. So take that and run with it. So I thought that was interesting that just like the movie like is science fiction, but it is like more heavily based in science than most science fiction, science fiction movies are. And that everything that happened like was theoretically possible with the science that we had in 2013. I don't know if there's been like any other 
developments that have come out since then. I don't really keep up on the science world, to be honest. But I guess that movie came out almost like 10 years ago now. That's kind of weird. I'm sorry. I like my mind is just like in one of those like um, <sighs> like sometimes I think so much that I can't talk. Or, you know, like it's thinking a lot about things and they race so fast that like I can't like get words out. And it's like hard to like put thoughts into words, you know, and then it's hard for me to even like process what it is that I'm thinking. And like now it's just like one of those times like it doesn't happen very often, but it like every once in a while. That's just kind of what's happening. Josh is so smart. He doesn't even know how to put his thoughts into words. I don't think that's how smart people are supposed to um, behave. You are very smart, though. Mm, not really. Um, He's just being modest. Nah, I am wearing very revealing clothes right now. It's the opposite of modesty. You're in basketball shorts and a t-shirt. Well, now you've ruined the mystery. <laughs> now everyone knows what's inside a black hole. Josh wearing basketball shorts and a t-shirt. Can you imagine if <laughs> Matthew McConaughey uh, was traveling through space-time and he passes the event horizon of a black hole? And gets, you know, sucked in and he sees like past, present, and future all before him. And it's just me <laughs> in basketball shorts and a t-shirt. And then it's like the, you know, answer to life and the, the universe and... And everything? Yeah. Actually, that is 42, but that's for another day. Well, no, like I'm at, like that's... Me, Pei-chan-kai. dang Um... Yeah, I thought that was like that was like one of my favorite things about the movie is how they played with like the fourth and like fifth dimensions and like dimensions. Josh and I have had a lot of well, not a lot, but we've had a couple of conversations about like the fourth dimension and stuff. Right. A lot of people will say that the fourth dimension is time, but that like is not necessarily true because time exists um, like there's space time. And so there's dimensions of space and there's dimensions of time. And like time exists concurrent with like the first dimension and with the second dimension and with the third dimension. Like if you imagine someone in, in a, that like lives in a first dimensional world that just like all he can do is walk forward and backward in a straight line. Like he can walk forward, but it's still going to take time to walk forward. And he can walk backward and that takes time. And time's always going to be moving forward for him. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing is if you live in a second dimension, you can move around like forward, backward, but you can also go left and right. And then third dimension is forward, backward, left, right, up, down. So f- the fourth dimension is still a space dimension. So there's still going to there's a straight, there's a forward and back, there's a left and right, there's an up and down, but then there's a um, there's another like direction to move beyond that. And so um, the like a fourth dimension, like if you think about the fourth dimension, like in order to envision the fourth dimension, you'd have to be um, Okay, how do you, <laughs> so, you know, like, in order to, uh, like, map out these dimensions, like, a first dimension, you can, like, map it out using a line. Second dimension, you can um, represent the second dimension. With, like, a sheet of paper. Yeah, like, with a square. And the third dimension would be. Like a cube. A cube. And then a fourth dimension of that same, like, cube shape expanding is a tesseract. And. But, like, you can represent a cube two-dimensionally, right? Um, So a cube is a three-dimensional shape. But you can still, like, 
give an accurate representation of what that would look like. So you can you can draw a cube on a piece of paper. Same as like people can draw like what looks like three dimensional shapes via like perspective uh, on a two dimensional surface. And the same thing is like you can like represent a fourth dimensional object by drawing its basically drawing its shadow on a three dimensional surface. Does that make sense? Yes. To me. <laughs> um because this is not the first time we've had this conversation. But. Right. So like we are three dimensional <laughs> beings and we cast a two dimensional shadow. Yes. Um fourth dimensional objects cast a three dimensional shadow. And um say that a person lives inside a square a square house on a two-dimensional plane. Like if you draw a square on a piece of paper and there's a person inside that and he can look left and right, but then there's, you know, a really cute girl that lives outside of his square house and his square house has no doors or windows. He will have no idea that that girl's out there and he'll have no way to like see her because he can't see past the walls of his house. But a third-dimensional being looking down on that piece of paper can see, yeah, there's a boy in the house and there's a girl outside the house but the person in two dimensionals can't see inside and outside and then um like that's the same kind of thing with like in the third dimension like we can't see what's like inside our bodies and we can't see what's in the other rooms or anything but a fourth dimensional person looking down on our dimension would be able to see inside and outside at the same time same as we can see what's inside and outside a square drawn on a piece of paper yep and and the way that they um, represented that in the movie, I thought was really clever. That it was like when he gets sucked into the black hole, um, they say that there were fourth and fifth dimensional beings that built a third dimensional reconstruction of the fourth dimension. And so that's so what he was in was the shadow of a tesseract, which is in the fourth dimension. Mm-hmm. Well, it was um, basically like a tesseract, yeah. But right, but it was uh, in th- three degrees of space. Yeah. Um, and so he, you could see that he could go up, down, left, right, and as he was traveling through space, he was also traveling through time. And you could see, kind of like it looked like the mirrors when you put like two mirrors facing each other, and it looks like it goes on forever. You could kind of see that going like in each direction. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I thought that was very, like, elegant. Yes, I thought the cinematography, honestly, was just, like, beautiful. But um, especially when he's trying to send the message to his daughter and he reaches in and is, like, flicking the watch. Um, And you watch him, like, pull a string and the string is, like, it shows the string connected to the watch. I thought that was, like, so cool that, like, that's the way that they decided to represent dimensions and stuff. Yeah. And what was cool is that he was saying, like, here we are, like, in a higher dimension, like, interacting with the past back on Earth. And then he says someone is in an even higher dimension right now interacting with the past, which is us, so that we can interact with the past back on Earth. And that he's like, it's still us. Like, somehow we've, you know, there's, like, in the movie, they were saying that the black hole is the gateway into this next dimension. And that in that dimension, there's some other gateway into the next dimension. So there's some other four, like higher level of a black hole is like what they were getting at or something. And that they were, you know, and they were able to evolve into a 
technological society that could travel and return like through those. Yeah. The one part I didn't understand is after that, he was saying like the, the Tesseract environment that he was in was being deconstructed. And then somehow he ended up back on the other side, not, not only outside the black hole in the galaxy that he was in, but then also on the other side of the wormhole in his own galaxy. Well, like as it's deconstructing, like um, they show him traveling through the wormhole because earlier in the movie, there was like the time space disturbance while they were going through the wormhole. And Anne Hathaway's character, Dr. Brand, was like she saw that disturbance and she was holding her hand out because the whole movie, they believed that there were these like higher beings that were trying to speak to them through gravity. And she saw the time-space disturbance, and she reached out her hand, and, like, you could see her fingers, like, getting, like, all distorted. And she said she felt like a handshake. And then it shows um, Cooper traveling back through that same wormhole and seeing their ship go through it the first time. And he was the one that held out his hand and, like, held Dr. Brand's hand while she was going through the wormhole. So he's, like, traveling back through the wormhole, and I don't know, like how he got there i'm wondering if it has something to do with like the way like humans had evolved and they had set up that tesseract environment and somehow they were interacting with him to help him get back through the wormhole yeah because the whole thing about the black hole is that there's an event horizon and up until that point you can still like escape the black hole's gravity but once you cross that horizon nothing can get out so no information no data no intelligence no light no anything and so like yeah there's we don't know what's in the black hole and there's no way of knowing without going in into the black hole and once you get into the black hole if you survive there's no way that you can tell anybody outside the black hole about it and so like i wonder if it's has something to do with like yeah the higher in the higher dimension like because if like you looking down on a sheet of paper you know you can I don't know, like erase the confines of the box or whatever and open it up. I wonder if that's, you know, kind of what was happening is that the higher dimension was then like opening the black hole or if when they were saying they were deconstructing the Tesseract, if they were just deconstructing that whole black hole, like Gargantua, like didn't exist or I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. We don't know exactly what happened, but I have to imagine that it's, you know, exactly like that where the higher dimensional being is like guiding him back like, you know, pulling the strings of him, like, back through the black hole because, um, you know, that that's one of the things that the movie said is that gravity is the only thing that, like, transcends, like, time and space is gravity. And so I bet they used gravity somehow to, like, pull him back through the wormhole. Yeah. What I don't understand is if he was going back through the wormhole and he saw his ship and, like, was able to, like, shake um, Dr. Brandt's hand then he had to have been going back in time and then he would have ended up like outside of Jupiter and someone would have had to like, if they would have picked up, that would have been before any of the time shifts. And so it would have been when his kid was still a child. Yeah, that was the question I was having too. And so I wonder if, plus in order for him to cause any sort of like um, time space disturbance, he would have still had to have been in that like fourth dimensional space. So as if like that whole space itself was traveling and so he was still like a fourth dimensional being traveling through the wormhole and then he like got spit out back into the third dimension or something so like as he was you know i don't know but like what's cool is that the whole like time distortion thing where you're like oh an hour here can equal seven hours 
on Earth. Like that's that's like legit science where the faster um, through space that you travel, that the less time that you experience. Yep. Um, all due to special relativity. Doesn't it have to do with like gravity too? Like the more gravity there is. Well, I think it's the more gravity there is, the faster you're going. Gotcha. Um, and the less time you experience. I did like a week, two week unit on Einstein's theory of relativity. And so, I mean, frankly, I'm an expert, but <laughs> <laughs> I still don't get it. Like, it's wild. It's mind blowing. And I don't understand it. But it's cool. You know, it's a really good, like I saw a YouTube video that um, broke it down. That same like idea of like when you are traveling at speeds nearing the speed of light, the because not only is your the time that you experience um, altered, but the your perception of th- of three dimensional space is also um, altered, and so you you'll experience basically a Doppler effect, but with light because sound like everyone's familiar with the Doppler effect with sound, how there's um, waves and the different pitches of sound are the different frequencies of a wave. And so as something's traveling towards you, those, the frequency that you hear is the, basically the speed of like each, not rotation, but like, um, wavelength, like each, uh, snapping your fingers <laughs> I'm together like, i'm pushing my fingers so like there's <laughs> it's not helping me understand what you're trying to say like all like each occurrence of the sound being it's called a wavelength well i'm, not, I'm saying not like the wavelength but like each whatever's creating the sound has to be vibrating so like each vibration like so like our vocal folds they're creating sound by like slapping together and the frequency that they slap together is the like the creates you're explaining the Doppler effect in a very confusing way. Well, I know to... what the Doppler effect is, and you're confusing me. <laughs> okay, so I'm saying if there's something traveling towards you, or no, so like if you're standing there still and you talk to me, there's sound being produced, and say like, okay, you look like you're... Okay, like think of a train. Like if a train is traveling towards you and it like blows its horn, and you've got wavelengths that are coming out from like the horn of the train... But the train is traveling forwards and it's pushing like the wavelengths um, as it travels, which makes the wavelengths like shorter. No, that's what I'm trying to explain is it's not pushing the wavelengths. Like what's happening is so like each time that you um, that like that the the sound is being. Im- OK, <laughs> basically what's happening is you're creating sound as you're talking. And so like as you're talking, it's sound waves being ejected towards you through space i don't know how to explain this but like as if you're moving then it's so like (laughs) it's does it with his hands (laughs) (laughs) if we need to make a video version of this podcast this would be much more helpful um okay here josh show your hands wait um okay that will be on stories for anyone who wants to know what Josh is doing. Okay. This is probably going to be the longest section of this podcast is me trying to explain this. Well, you should probably like edit out the some of it. Yeah. Maybe if I just look up the Doppler effect on... Uh... How do we even start talking about the Doppler effect? Because we're talking about... Because like, tr- I'm, I'm trying to explain it in a way that you can understand how the light would be like affected. Um, let's see. 
Okay, while you're looking that up, I think that, like, one of the things that's actually cool about, like, Einstein's relativity is how much it affects, like, like our cell phones even. Like, so the satellites are not that far away from Earth, like, compared to, like, the rest of space, you know. But because they are farther away from Earth than we are down here, the time that we send to satellites is off. And so they have to adjust the clocks on the satellites um, because the gravity is less out in space where the satellites are, like just by a teeny tiny fraction, but it messes up the time that gets transmitted to our phones by that much that they have to like, I think, slow down the clocks on the satellites or speed up the clocks on the satellites um, so that they can transmit back the the correct time and so even though like Einstein's theory of relativity deals with things going the speed of light and stuff it still impacts our day-to-day even though like we don't realize how much it does I'm going to forget the what I was trying to say about like the frequency of things like you know vibrating to produce the sound and just like focus on the like the wave so each wave has a crest and a trough and so like the frequency is how many crests and troughs occur in a certain period of time So usually hertz just means like how many blank per second. And so if I was standing and I'm talking to you, you're hearing the pitch of my voice at certain number of sound um, waves, like sound wave, like crests hitting your eardrums per second. And so they're reaching you at a certain, like it takes a certain time for each crest of the wave to reach you. But then if I'm start moving towards you and I'm still making sound, then the next subsequent crest takes a little bit less time to reach you than the first one did. And the same with the second one. And so that decrease in time to like reach you makes it so that they're artificially closer together because the first one left and then as it's going, then the second one leaves from a distance closer. Does that make sense? Yes. So it's like they're going boom, boom, Boom. And so if the source is like not moving, then each one that comes out is going to be a certain distance away from each other. But then if the first one moves and then the source moves before it releases the second one, then the first and second one are going to be closer than they had been if the source was not moving. Which means that you will hear whatever it is, be it a train, a car, a person at a higher pitch. Right. And so it's just if the source is moving, then the distance between like each little sound particles bumping into each other is going to be shorter. And And then once it passes you, then it's like the sound coming towards you, but the source is moving away from you. Then those are going to be longer. So it's a lower pitch. And the same thing happens with light because light um, also behaves in a similar wave, um, has like those wave properties and the different frequencies of light are perceived by us as colors yes and so if you are moving at speeds closer to the speed of light then you're going to be if you're moving towards the speed of light then the things that are coming towards you will be then those light waves will become shorter and as it becomes shorter they will become more and more blue Mm -hmm. and as you pass them the things moving away from you will have artificially long not artificially, but, you know, like relatively longer wavelengths. And so they will be shifted red. Yes. And so it's like the exact same effect as a Doppler effect, but it's like with light instead of with sound. And that's that's how that's actually 
we can perceive that in the night sky and we can tell um when like objects like celestial objects in the sky like galaxies are moving away from us or moving towards us and that's how like we've kind of theorized that the universe is expanding it's because everything in the night sky like almost is like pretty much red shifted (laughs) yeah but there are things that we can see that are orbiting other things that there's a period that they're blue shifted and there's a period that they're red shifted and there's a period where they're blue shifted and period where they're red shifted because like at certain times they're going away from us in the orbit and then they come towards us in the orbit and then they go away from us in the orbit and so science my dudes yeah but like that like light doppler effect is a little bit easier to understand than uh than the um time dilation or or uh the space compression i totally forgot why you brought up the doppler effect <laughs> cuz we were talking about like faster or like speed of light travel oh yeah but I don't think they were going the speed of light in um, in Interstellar. I think they were just traveling at, like, the speeds that, like, they had. Because they put them in, like, cryogenic sleep where they'd, like, well, in order their bodies. In order to go through the wormhole, you would have had to, like, bend space-time in a way that you could get from one end to the other end faster than the speed of light. Oh, yeah. But, like, but then when you're... They described it as, like, drawing an X on a piece of paper... Like, two X's on opposite ends of the piece of paper, and there's, like, a huge distance in between them, but if you fold the piece of paper in half, so the X's, like, line up and then, like, poke a hole with a pencil. Like, that's what a wormhole is. So it gets you from, like, point A to point B, like, a lot faster, because it just, like, compresses the time and space. Like, it compresses the space between them, so. I'm wondering, I don't, I'd have to look up if the gravity was what caused the time dilation um when they went to the one planet and they came back and it had been 23 years even though they were only there for a couple hours i believe so because they talked about how the gravity was like a lot stronger on that planet and like when Anne hathaway and that other character like went out on the planet and they were having like trouble walking because the gravity was so strong that's why they knew that it was going to be like a lot more time well it wasn't the gravity that was on the planet because they just said it was like 120% of gravity on Earth. And that's not as much gravity as there would be on like the surface of Jupiter. Jupiter's, I think, would be like six times what that is of Earth or something like that. But you wouldn't experience the time dilation if you like stepped foot on Jupiter. I think you would a little bit. Just like how the satellites like orbiting the Earth are experiencing a little bit of time dilation just because they're like so much farther out from earth's orbit they're experiencing less gravity from earth than we are i don't think it's how much so in my brain it's not how much gravity they're experiencing on the surface of the planet but it's like how fast the planet is moving because of how much gravity is being exerted on it by the black hole and so them traveling because they're on the planet and they're traveling through space time faster than they would be traveling through space time on the earth right because like we're moving through space on the earth around the sun and the sun around our galaxy at a certain speed and that that speed is a lot less than the speed that they were on that planet going around the black hole because the black hole you know was pulling in way stronger Mm -hmm. that's what i'm thinking was the case well from my um expert opinion from my two weeks I mean, that's that's what makes sense in my head, but I could totally be wrong because, you know. Um, I just looked up, why does time slow down 
on the on Miller's planet, and it just says the reason why time runs differently on the planet Miller is primarily because of the extreme gravity of the black hole Gargantua. Okay. Um, the speed of light is taken to be a constant no matter how fast slash slow you are moving relative to light. You will always observe it to be moving at the speed of um, 3 times 10 to the 8th meters per second. Now, Gargantua is a supermassive black hole with an extreme gravitational field. It bends um, space around it. And you could see that, like, it's it was like the sphere and the um, right outside the event horizon. Like, everything was, like, bending and curving around it. Yeah. Um, and that the planet was so close to the black hole that it was in that area that space itself was bent. So it was in that space distortion. Gotcha. Well, anyway, what I what I was getting at before I tried to explain it myself was that there's a YouTube video that I think is very well put together and easy to understand. Um, and it's if you just look up. Well, let me see what it's called. We'll link it in the comments. Yeah. Um, there's one of my favorite YouTube channels called The Action Lab, and he made a video about a year ago. Um, and it's called Slowing the Speed of Light Down to Two Meters Per Second. And it shows you what special relativity special relativity feels like. And so instead of, you know, speeding up your movements to the speed of light, he just like slowly speeds down the speed of light. So it's closer to like your walking speed. And um, he. Oh, is that the one where he's like playing the game and like yeah. moving around? Oh, OK. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. So there was a simulation, computer simulation built by MIT and. It feels very much like a game and you walk around and you like collect these orbs and each time you collect the orb, the speed of light decreases and you can slowly see the effects that like traveling closer to the speed of light would have on what you see, the distance. And so it's what gets weird is that as you get closer to the speed of light, the um, everything stretches. And so as you're moving forward, the thing everything seems to be getting far farther away and if you move backwards things seem like they're getting closer to you and then once you like reach the end like if you if i'm walking towards the wall i would reach the wall and then my vision would catch up to me um because the light like i'm reaching the wall before the light that left the wall when i was not yet there like reach you know yeah it's just watch <laughs> so the video yeah watch, watch the video watch the video it it <laughs> Like, not only does he explain it well, but then you can um, see it represented. Really awesome. Yes. I feel bad for all of our listeners who, like, came for some easy listening and instead got a TED Talk on the theory of relativity. A TED Talk by people who are not qualified to give a TED Talk. Yes. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) You know there's theoretically, like, such things as white holes? Really? Yeah, it's basically the exact opposite of a black. So a black hole is, you know, you have that event horizon and then everything comes in and nothing can like escape that. And a white hole has an event horizon where within that everything is pushed out to the event horizon. And then outside that event horizon, so like you can't get anything past the event horizon into it. Oh. And so like that same it just reminded me because that same YouTuber made a video like modeling a white hole where if you like turn on your faucet in your sink, then the faucet, when it hits the water, when it's falling from your faucet, hits the bottom of your sink and gets pushed out into into like a circle. And it kind of forms this horizon where it like it's pushed out very hard, very fast. And then the water kind of builds up outside this horizon. 
and like anything that you put inside like if you drop something like a like dish soap or anything like inside the event horizon it immediately gets shot out but you can't like once it's like in the water like outside you can't really like push the water past the like event horizon into the that area you know yeah it was like the same kind of deal yeah just like in theory that those but exist. we've never like seen one like nasa's never like captured any on camera like they so. have with black holes well they never captured a black hole on camera i mean like they have like they have so the thing is is with black holes you can't see a black hole because no light reaches a black hole and then comes back to us because any light reaching a black hole gets sucked in so it's just that's why it's called black because it's just empty like we can see the effects of a black hole and like generated images like we can see the event horizons yeah basically we can see areas where a black hole should be because of how space interacts because of how space behaves around it because of how things orbit it in galaxies and stuff well that's what i meant was like have they like captured anything like suggesting the existence of a white hole on camera like Um, do they have white hole event horizons let's see because like we have like pictures of like suggesting the existence it says a speculative theory called loop quantum gravity then mean white holes might exist but, but we I'm trying don't to have see, pictures. Oh, yeah, I'm trying to see if there's any sort of evidence or data that they've collected that like back up that theory. Well, like obviously, if it's like a science theory, there has to be plenty of evidence. But like, like photographic. So that's it. Says there's blah blah blah. Yeah, it says blah blah blah. Oh, okay. Did you find something? I found a picture of a black hole. I think is that like computer model like put together that picture based on like other like forms of like data that they were able to like. Like radiation or something that it was emitting. No, this is an image captured by the Event Horizon Telescope. Oh. Um, which is a huge telescope array. So that, I mean, that's an actual like picture captured. And that was like the first image of the Event hor- Horizon of a black hole. And that's what Christopher Nolan used um, as his basis for Gargantua to uh, create the image in the film. Oh. Okay, so, so far, no astronomical source has been successfully tagged a white hole. Unlike black holes, white holes cannot be continuously observed. Rather, their effect can only be detected around the event itself. Got it. But there's, like, a lot of evidence that they exist. A lot of theory. A lot of theory, okay. Yeah. Same as how, like, Einstein had a lot of, like, theory worked out mathematically about special relativity. And, like, long before any like experimental evidence like backed it up einstein like i mean okay like we all talk about like einstein and we know he was like a genius that like did a lot of like really cool stuff but when you like like now that i've gotten into college and i've like actually studied like some of the stuff that einstein like really did it's giving me like a huge appreciation and respect for him like that man was genius and just like thought in a completely different way than most of us do for sure like the photoelectric effect. Did you study about that in your... No. Oh. I took... I took... So I'm not a science major. And I've only had to take two science classes in college and I'm done. Like, I'm not taking any more. And it, one was a biology class and one was a physical science class that, sh- like, sh- slammed chemistry and physics together. So... Oh, f- chemistry, physics, and, like, geology and stuff together. So... 
didn't spend long on physics. Yeah, the photoelectric effect is a different thing that Einstein theorized before because he he basically he was one of the first ones I think that theorized the wave particle phenomenon of light. Um, let me check. Yeah. Do I need to pull out my textbook for this episode? <laughs> um, it says it was Einstein who suggested that light did not behave exactly a wave or particle. Instead, light behaves as both wave and particle. He, um, his theory became known as the wave particle duality of light. So I, like in my brain, I credited that to Einstein, but I wasn't sure because I knew that he was instrumental in like coming up with the photoelectric effect, which is basically if you shine a light on like a sheet of metal, then that metal is going to it's going that the the energy that's you know, bundled up in these um, photons of light hits the atoms that absorb that energy and it's so much that it knocks the electrons off of the atoms and that those electrons knocked off can generate, you know, you can um, capture those electrons being knocked off and generate an electric current. And so his um, um, experiment or his like theory was that the energy of the electricity, the energy of, of the electrons being knocked off was not due to the brightness of the light, but due to the frequency of the light or like the color. And so um, everyone like in the um, realm of physics thought that brighter light was higher energy light. But he was saying, no, no, no. The And so they were like, you know, measuring the energy of the electrons basically is the kinetic energy, the speed that the electrons are like being knocked off of these atoms. And so he's saying that the speed of the electrons being knocked off has nothing to do with how bright the light is. It has more to do with how much energy is packed within each photon because he's saying that light isn't just photons, that these like photons are behaving as waves as well. So if a photon with a lot of energy hits the atom, it's going to knock the, ener- the electrons off faster. And that the brightness of the light is not the energy within each photon. It's just how many photons per second are hit, like, you know, hitting. And so there's, if there's more photons at once, it's brighter. But the higher energy photons are going to be, you know, uh, more towards the right of the electromagnetic spectrum. So like violet light, ultraviolet. And so he showed that by like um, they would map the electricity coming off of a you know sheet of metal and they'd shine a light at it. And that the energy of the um, electricity would increase when they put like an ultraviolet light on it. But when they shined a brighter light on it, the energy didn't increase, just the amplitude increased. Yep. And so it like completely changed the way that um, people thought about it. Or maybe maybe he hadn't even, I th- if I think I remember correctly, they might have even theorized the like opposite way and then they performed the experiment and then the other way like happened and they were like, oh. Yeah, but I mean like the, the basics of it is that Einstein figured out that it was the color or the frequency of the light and not the... Uh, brightness of it because that's the way most waves behave yeah light is weird do you remember when i uh sent a message to the discord saying like like color doesn't really exist it's just our analog representation in our consciousness of different wavelengths of light and i was like attacked (laughs) yes do you remember when we started a podcast about interstellar and then dove into deep physics. It's not that deep. Yeah, that's true, I guess. Because if I know what we're talking about, it can't be that deep because I have not studied physics, like, hardly at all. I mean, I took a physics class in high school, but did I really take a physics class in high school because my teacher was terrible? 
and would Hopefully just make jokes they're about they're not her. listening. <laughs> She'd just make jokes about herself going through menopause. So. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. Anyway, I thought, let me, there were some quotes of things that they said that I was like, oh, I need to write that down. or something. Like one of the things was he said, he told his daughter, like, when you become a parent, you realize that your life is a ghost of your children's future or something. Oh, yeah. That was really good. Or what the robot said, too. Let's uh, let's pull these up and um, then, like, kind of unpack them if we a little bit. I, ooh, on IMDb, this is a top-rated movie. It's number 28. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. And considering, like, the amount of movies that are on IMDb, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, he says, once you're a parent, you're the ghost of your children's future. What do you think that means? I think it's just that, like, the older I get, the more I realize I've become my mom. Okay. Like, I love my mom. She's a great woman. But there's sometimes... Where, like, I just do, like, the funny, quirky things that she does. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I've become my mom. (laughs) And I think, you know, we have the genetics of our parents. And we've been raised by them. And a lot of the times we grow up and we turn out a lot more like them than we thought we would, for better or for worse. And that, um, like, our parents are kind of our insight into what our futures will look like. Okay. I was thinking it had to do with, like, once you become a parent, everything that you're doing is to make memories for your children. And memories don't exist until you've moved past them and can look back on them. And so it's almost like everything you're doing as a parent, like, for your children, is so that they can move past it and then have something to look back on. And so it's like you're, it's almost like you're existing in this time and space specifically for them once they've grown to like look back on those memories so i think that's what he's saying is that the parent that you are is just a ghost for your children's future so once your children are in the future and they look back they're not looking back at you with them they're looking back at the parent that you were right yeah so it's like you like you are creating those memories that don't exist yet but like will exist in in the future when they like look back which is kind of interesting that he said that right at the beginning of the movie. And then, you know, the whole theme of the of his daughter's ghost that was like knocking the books off her bookshelf and making the binary code out of the dust on the floor. And sending the stay message. Yeah. With and the that, books. And then it was him in her future being that ghost, but on the like in a totally different way by being on the other side of the dimensional barrier, basically. And that he was like, her, you know, so that was really cool kind of foreshadowing that he's like, when you're a parent, you're the ghost of your child's future. But in a, he, he didn't even know what he was talking about. And then it turned out that he was performing in this role of her ghost once she had grown up. I think that's really cool. Yeah. Very like cleverly crafted storytelling. Yeah. This movie is a masterpiece, honestly. One of the other things um, was the poem that uh michael kane's character michael kane just like in every christopher nolan movie yeah i think he is like because he's in tenant i'm pretty sure he's in inception if i remember correctly and obviously he's in batman right okay so the poem was um do not go gentle into that good night old age should burn and rave at close of day 
rage, rage against the dying of the light. And I guess it's f- um, from Do Not Go Gentle Into That Good Night by Dylan Thomas. Yes. You know, the funny thing is I know this poem. And the reason why I know this poem is you remember like 10 years ago when dystopian young adult novels were like the shiz. <laughs> Yeah. And, like, literally everyone and their dog wrote a dystopian young adult romance novel. <laughs> um, there was one, what was it called? I think it was called Crossed or something. And it had the same kind of thing. Um, and it had that poem in there. And I can't remember exactly the way it was used because I never actually finished the series. But, like, that poem was in there. And, like... The girl, the guy that she fell in love with, like introduced her to that poem or something. What do, What are your thoughts about it? Do not go gentle into that good night. Old age should burn and rave at close of day. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. To be honest, it's like really hard for me to take it seriously now after it was in that book. Like I know it's like a very famous poem and like one that is like very analyzed. Um, I think probably the biggest thing for me that stands out for me is that first sentence do not go gentle into that good night like for me that's kind of like a don't just be content with like how do I put this into words like don't just like you don't have to be content or no that's a really like bad way to say it like you can always fight for more in your life for better things for you and for the people around you and that you know, in the context of the movie, it's kind of like they're going into... Okay, now I just feel like I'm rambling. But <laughs> in the context of the movie, it's like they're going into, like, the dark night of space um, to go find a way... Like, to go find a way to help everyone survive that's on Earth. Um, and so they're not going gentle because they're fighting for the survival of the human race, basically. And for the survival of the people they love down on Earth. And... um it's kind of like um like can be applied to us that like you know there are bigger and better things out there that we can be fighting for does that make sense yeah i imagine that the poet when he wrote it oh that rhymed <laughs> that when the poem was written it was not originally about travel like between galaxies but i think what what i was like first understanding it as was that the good night was the like the like sleep of death that it's like do not go what is it do not go gentle into that good night uh yeah do not go gentle into that good night that it's like you know that okay now we're getting like super existential but like there's always the night of death looming at the end for everybody and it's just like you can live your life just like at peace with like you know i'm gonna die so you know there's not really like much point to doing anything you know before i get there or and then it says like old age should burn and rave at the close of day so it's like you should fight to like make your moments last you should fight to like make it matter you should you know fight to like give yourself meaning you know and like do something worth it yeah like kind of back to like what I was saying, um, like, we're not facing hu- a blight and huge dust storms that are, like, threatening our survival, but we are facing climate change, political upheaval, and other things um, going on in our world. And there are, 
are things that we can fight to make our society better, but also on a small scale, you know, fight to um, improve the quality of our lives, you know, get education that will help us set up, like, get a career that will help us set up families and sustain ourselves and improve the lives of the people we love. What What do you think about Michael Caine's character? He was, he's the one who said this poem, but then it was revealed later in the movie that he had been covering up the truth of the mission in the first place because they had a plan A and a plan B. And a plan A was to go find those 12 astronauts that had been sent to the worlds and gather their data that couldn't be sent back to Earth and see if any of them had a habitable planet and then come back and get the rest of humanity and go to that planet and start, you know, start a new world. And then plan B was if none of them were inhabitable or or if something was wrong with the mission, they had basically human embryos or, or something mm-hmm. that they could like uh, grow artificially and create like a brand new planet and everybody on Earth would die. And they would just start brand new with artificially created humans. Yeah. And then it wasn't about saving everyone so much as just continuing the human race. And so in the end, he reveals, well, plan A was never really an option. It was just a way to kind of motivate people to do the mission. Like really plan B was what we were going with the whole time because plan A was hopeless. Because plan A relied on solving this gravity equation that required data from inside a black hole, which they thought would be impossible to get and so that's but um, he had like solved it up until that point like 40 years earlier but like pretended that he hadn't solved it and so he was like by the time you get back i will have solved it and so he like spent his whole life and then his daughter like grew up working with him to like keep doing it yeah and then they wake up one of the scientists that had gone to the planet and he's like yeah no plan b was the like the option the entire time yeah. And so it like it's so ironic that Dr. Brand is the one who says that poem because it's revealed that he is living his life in the exact opposite way of that poem because it says do not go gentle into that good night, but he's the one who has given up the hope that the people on the earth can be saved. He's the one that's like, well, there's no hope for us, so we just got to like start start over somewhere else. And so he's like hiding the fact that that's what's going on and just stalling for time. And so he's just like, I've just got to, and the same thing with the, that's kind of what the daughter um, uh, Murph said too, when uh, Topher Grace, like she found out that the whole thing was a scam and Topher Grace was like, should we tell everybody? And she was like, no, like chaos is just going to like make it worse or something. She said something like that. And that's kind of like that same thing. That's like, if everybody knows they're going to die, like we just got, you know, we can't tell everybody. And so it's just like, we're just going to like go gent- gently into like death. But the poem is like, no, 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 don't do that. You got to fight. You got to like make every second last. You got to like give it every chance that you have for survival, but also just like for to like give life purpose anyway. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's very, I think, clever that they had his character read that poem, but it was like complete backwards. Yeah. Like, you think he's, like, this, like, cool, benevolent character, and you find out he's kind of, like, one of the villains the whole time. It was just, like... Because the main character's thing was always, like, he had promised his daughter he would come back, and he was going to come back. And, um... Come to find out that they had not even made 
like a possible way for him to come back. Yeah. The, the whole the plan the whole time was just for them to like start a colony of human embryos and survive the human race. And it was like Matt Damon's character that told everyone that. That guy was the real worst. <laughs> he was. Turns out that he like they get to his little campsite and he's just like where we landed there's too much ammonia in the atmosphere to breathe but down on the surface the chlorine dissipates and there's breathable air like atmosphere sustainable to organic life we might not even be alone on this planet there might you know might be organisms down there yeah the reason why they went to his planet in the first place was that like once people reach the planet once the 12 astronauts like reached the planet they started transmitting back signals and there were three planets that were transmitting promising signals and so matt damon's like, character thumbs up what like they're like they said like oh they're giving thumbs up like yep we're good we've got good uh, conditions here for life yeah and so matt damon's character sends like back the thumbs up and is sending like like some rudimentary data that's like shows hydrocarbons shows um like all of the stuff necessary for st- sustainable uh to sustain life and they had very limited fuel and so they had to choose between like his planet and another planet to visit and he was the more respected scientist but the other planet had more like in-depth data that they had like received once they like traveled to the other galaxy yeah and so they went down to find him and he's going like oh yeah like let's just go down to the surface and we'll like set up a basic operation there and they go over there and then he turns on cooper and Cooper realizes, oh, he's been lying. There is no surface. He's been making up this data just because he wanted someone to come down so that he could, like, steal their resources and ship and, like, escape and, like, make it back to Earth or something. Or, like, because he said, like, he had never considered that his planet wouldn't be the habitable one. And when he got there and he said, I realized day one that we had nothing here. And so he was just, his his plan was, like, not to die alone but to get someone to come rescue him um, or to get someone to come as if it was the habitable planet. And then he would then take their ship and go to a different planet that might be habitable. Right. Mm -hmm. And that he would execute plan B. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That guy was the worst. And then he ended up dying. Yep. Serves him right. Yep. Just kidding. Well, Well, yeah. Mm -hmm. In a movie, it was, uh, I mean, he did try to murder them all, and he actually did murder one of them, so... Well, yeah, he tried to murder the one guy by cracking his helmet so he would suffocate in the ammonia. And he and... blew up another one. Yeah, because the other guy was, like found his data, and he was looking at it, and he's like, this data makes no sense. And then, boom, the whole like camp exploded. Yep. I think it was like a booby trap. Like, once you unlocked the data, he like blew you up. So, because that was like the real data that he wasn't transmitting. Well, oh... That's what Tara said that was, like, super cool. Like, because they were talking about, like, the beings when they're in the Tesseract and him and the robot are in the Tesseract and they're, like, communicating with each other. He's, like, the robot's, like, they didn't send us here to change the past because Cooper's upset that he left his daughter. He's, like, I never should have left in the first place. And that's why he sends the message that says stay because he's, like, I'm just out here to die. And, like, I left my daughter for nothing. Like, I left her alone to die. Um two and um and so he's trying to change the past and like get his daughter to stop him from going um but then the robot says like cooper they didn't bring us here to change the past like the higher beings didn't lead us into this tesseract to change the past and that's when he realizes like 
he has to go to the future version of his daughter to influence yeah. the future of hu- humanity, right? Yeah, exactly. That, like, they're not here to change it. He's not going to get himself to, like, stop him from going, but that his job is to send the messages from inside the black hole so that they get the information needed to finish the gravity equation so that humankind can be saved. It's really cool that while he was there, he was saying that the love connection that he had with his daughter was this quantifiable value that was the reason why every everywhere in that tesseract area was only his daughter's bedroom or some, something like that, right? Mm-hmm. But the reason why this constructed space was just his daughter's bedroom infinitely throughout time was because of this... Like, the reason why he ended up there when he went through the black hole was because of this um, love that he had for his daughter, but that he didn't believe was something, like, real and physical. But then he found out, like, yes, this love is something tangible that, like, you can measure. Yeah, which was cool, but, like, also he had a son, (laughs) and they just, like, completely glossed over his son, even though his son was the only one that, like, transmitted messages to him and stuff. Well, it seemed like... He was, like, very happy when his son was sending the messages that, like, he found a girl, he got married, he had kids, um, he named one of his kids after him, and but he never received any messages from his daughter because he left on bad terms with her, and the whole time he was, like, um, like brewing over that, that he, like, never wanted to leave his daughter because he said, like, don't make me leave like this because she was mad at him because she didn't want him to go, and so I think it might have been, like, that tie that he was, like, regretting leaving his daughter. Yeah, because it seems like he gets back to the planet and he, like, doesn't even ask about his son. Granted, his son's probably dead anyway, but he's like, where's my daughter? And then, like, goes and sees her, and then his daughter is like, go back out into space. And so he's like, all right, (laughs) and just, like, takes off again. Yeah, that's weird is, like, when he, like, the daughter, like, basically all of humanity had left Earth in his big um, facility and... His daughter, like, reaches the facility to see him and all of her descendants were there because she was, like, about to die because she was, like, super old. And then Cooper walks in and none of the family is even like, oh, my gosh, you're our grandfather. You're our great-grandfather. We're so, like, happy to meet you. Well, they all turn and, like, just kind of look at him in awe. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Anyway, and then she goes, she talks to him and then she says, like, no parents should have to see their child die. Like, I'm here with my um, posterity. It will be more natural for them to see me die. Like, so you can, like, leave and not have to watch this. Yeah, I don't know. If I were him, though, I would be sticking around because I'd be like, one, like, I miss so much time with you. I'm going to spend as much time as possible, like, left. And then, two, I would want to know, like, my grandkids and my great-grandkids and stuff. Like, I'd be sticking around for them, too, being like, I'm, like, your (laughs) great-great-grandpa. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Christopher Nolan loves to take these like what if like paradox scenarios, you know, like what if your daughter like ended up as old as your grandmother and you like never aged, you know? And then the like whole thing about Tenet was the uh what was that name of the paradox? The temporal pincer maneuver? Yeah. Where it's like what happens if you have someone moving forward in time and someone moving backwards in time so like someone observes something that happens forward in time then goes moves backward in time to tell the person before it happens what happens 
So then you have like both parties knowing, but then it's like if they both knew, then who knew at the beginning? And then who know? You know? Yeah. And so it's like this whole paradox that like he built the movie Tenet around. So like there's like a very physical like battle scene where there's a temporal pincer mover where there's a team moving forward and a team moving backward. But then the entire movie itself is this temporal pincer movement where there's uh like entire characters moving forward and back anyway it's yeah and inception's kind of the same way where it's like well what if we can like get inside dreams and reconstruct things and like steal thoughts out of people's heads and and then batman he's just like what if the dark knight isn't the hero that people deserve it's the one that they need <laughs> or, yeah or that backwards. paradox <laughs> <laughs> yeah he didn't get as much leeway in like the batman movies to do what he wanted but he's still like to do what he normally does, I should say. But he still made them, like, really cool. I've never seen other Christopher Nolan movies, but the ones I have seen, I've liked. So I think, I don't know, what are the other ones? I think Dunkirk is Christopher Nolan, right? Oh, really? I don't know. Now I'm going to look up Christopher Nolan movies. Yeah, Christopher Nolan did Dunkirk, and I heard that was pretty good. Following Memento, Insomnia, Batman Begins, The Prestige, The Dark Knight, Inception, oh, The, the Dark Prestige. Knight Rise, Interstellar, Dunkirk, and Tenet. I forgot about that movie. I haven't seen that, but I've wanted to for a while. I don't know. It's going to be a couple more weeks before I can watch another uh, Christopher Nolan yeah, movie. Yeah, we got out of that movie, <laughs> and I was like, I can't believe that there are movies like this that exist in the same universe that there are movies like Hot Rod that exist. <laughs> okay, Hot Rod is a masterpiece in its own right, and I will fight you on that. I'm not going to fight you on that, but <laughs> I was just like... It only seems natural to come out of Interstellar and then immediately watch something like Hot Rod. Well, you have to. Like, the emotional weight of Interstellar, you can't just go to sleep on that one. Like, well, it's not even the emotional weight. It's just, like, the way that it, like, makes you, like, think and, the like, how beautiful it was, you know, just, like, so existential and puts in perspective, like, the universe and the score. Like, who who's the composer for Interstellar? Uh, Hans Zimmer. That was probably one of the best movie scores I've ever heard. It was good. It was very good. And you just come out of that and you're just like in awe of like everything. And then you yes. just got to like have something that will like slap you across the face and be like, no, the world is kind of stupid. <laughs> <laughs> this is my hat now. This is totally my hat. <laughs> Yeah, so anyway, after we we stop this podcast, we are 100% going straight to the couch to watch Hot Rod. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, I don't know. I think that's uh, it. I don't really want to talk any more about this movie because... Yeah, I've had enough of using my brain today, and I'm ready to veg. Oh, yeah. Um, let's go ahead and wrap up. I've been Josh. She's been Sydney. We've been the host of your podcast. Uh, thanks for participating. You can find us on Instagram at... Uh, Josh is rich and dip your chicken and you can find the show on Instagram at TFP underscore pod or on Twitter at TFP underscore show. Be sure to follow us on social media for fun promotions and surprises in the near future. And if you have any feedback or episode suggestions or you just want to have a conversation with us or whatever, you can email us at participating.podcast at gmail.com. Or you can have those conversations like via direct message on any of the socials. Also, once you follow us, which you probably should if you haven't already, please, yeah. <laughs> um, we really would appreciate it if you would go on iTunes um, and, you know, rate and review the podcast uh, or on Apple Podcasts or however you do that. That will help us grow our audience, which we're trying to do. We're trying to 
get this podcast to reach more people. So that's a good way to do it. Share the podcast with your friends. Um, it, you probably have you probably had people asking for podcast recommendations, or even if they haven't, you know, if you're in the car with someone and you have the Oxcore, just put the podcast on. Uh, listen to our one of our most recent episodes. And when people say like, "Who are these?" you know, brilliant, uh, innovative, creative minds behind this podcast, you can say no one but it's josh and sydney <laughs> and they are not any of those things that you just said but you should listen wow, to their thanks, podcast babe. anyway okay uh, let me let me phrase um there's one of those people and she's sydney and there's this other guy josh that's not any of those things and i don't know why she married him but yeah i don't know either neither do i um the cover art is by vaishan brandon uh follow him uh, see his work on Instagram at graphite.vmb. Um, also, our music is done by Mitch Fry. You can find him on at firefry underscore on Instagram and at Mitch Fry Music on YouTube. And also, he just got married. So congrats, buddy. We are very excited for you. Last of all, we just like to thank all of our listeners. We are so grateful for you guys. We love you all. And thanks for listening. Not thanks for participating. And thanks for participating. <laughs> And thanks for not trying to blow us up when we are thousands of light years away from Earth on a distant alien planet. Bye.